pay attention to God's holy word as I read, first of all, from the book of Isaiah, who says, that is, God says, I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I and not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days I am He. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it? And these words from the Gospel of John, probably the most familiar words to you, certainly familiar to most of you. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. And then turning to the Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans, the fifth chapter, where he says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved through God's, from God's wrath through Him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through His life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. And then finally, these words from the book of Acts. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Amen. Uh, some of you may remember the movie Grand Canyon, starring Kevin Klein and Danny Glover and uh, Steve Martin. In the opening scene, an immigration attorney is on his way home from an L.A. Laker game, and uh, he uh, ends up in a traffic jam on the freeway. There's been some kind of an accident, and so he takes a detour, uh, not known to him, it was unfamiliar, and he ended up in a very unsavory part of town. Streets are uh, progressively dark and deserted as he drives around trying to get his bearings. These were in the days before GPS. And then he experiences his worst nightmare. His expensive car stalls and breaks down. Well, the attorney, the attorney manages to phone for a tow truck. But before it arrives, five young street toughs surround his disabled car, and threaten him with considerable bodily harm. Just in the nick of time, the tow truck driver shows up 
And his driver, who's an earnest, genial man, begins to hook up the disabled car. But the toughs protest. He's interrupting their meal, if you know what I mean. So the driver takes the leader of the group aside and gives him a five-minute introduction to metaphysics. Man, the world ain't supposed to work this way. Maybe you know that, or maybe you don't know that, but this ain't the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to do my job without asking you if I can do it. And that dude is supposed to be able to wait with his car without you ripping him off. Everything is supposed to be different than what it is here. When you and I look at the world and we see how people hurt one another and how they hurt themselves, we know intuitively, instinctively, what the tow truck driver knew. Things here are out of whack. It ain't supposed to be this way. You know, there's so much in life that just isn't fair. We know deep down inside it's not how God designed it to be. Something is seriously wrong. You see, God meant for us to experience shalom. You've probably heard that word before. It's a Hebrew word, shalom. Uh, Jewish people greet one another or say goodbye to one another saying shalom. Shalom is more than just a synonym for peace as in the absence of conflict, but to wish someone shalom is to wish for them all the fullness of God's blessings. It's to, it's to wish them wholeness in all relationships and delight in all the good things of life. When God created human beings, God meant for them to experience just that, the fullness of shalom. His desire was for them to enjoy life in paradise. Think of Adam and Eve in the garden. What a beautiful place. There was to be no fear or anxiety, no bitterness or envy, no mistrust or jealousy, no pain or heartache, no physical or psychological abuse, no murder or war or death. God meant for human beings to live in harmony with one another, and He meant for them to enjoy His fellowship, walking with Him in the cool of the day, so that they might know His love and experience His joy. That's shalom. That's the way it's supposed to be. But something happened. Human beings wanting to be their own gods misuse their God-given freedom and thumb their nose at God in rebellion, and the human race has been in a nosedive ever since. Adam and Eve said, well, forget you, God. We're going to do our own thing here. And sin and misery entered the world. Shalom was broken. Paradise was lost. Disharmony with God, with one another, and with self, and with nature itself became a fact of life, and misery followed in its wake. The world hasn't been the same since.
it's just not supposed to work that way. Not to, shouldn't be that way. We talked a lot last week about the problem of sin. To use an old-fashioned word that's still relevant today, even if the word isn't currently in vogue, we said that sin is putting self at the center of one's universe. Biblically speaking, sin is a condition. It's spiritual heart disease, the heart curved in upon itself so that it's not open to God or to others. According to Jesus, it is from within. Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, fornication, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things, says Jesus, come from within, and they defile a man. There is in us an inborn disposition toward evil, what Christians call original sin. The Heidelberg Catechism, the, the great statement of faith which many of us are studying this fall, states that we are born sinners corrupt from conception on. Not only do you and I continually break God's laws, but we personally offend God who loves us and wants only the best for us. And that not only makes God angry, but it grieves Him. And the tragic thing is what breaks his heart is that we all suffer from the consequences of our rebellion. Indeed, the wages of sin is heartache, pain, misery, guilt, and death, ultimate separation from God. Ain't supposed to be this way. The world needs fixing. We need help. We need to be saved. Where is salvation to be found? Contemporary society proposes all kinds of solutions to the human predicament. If only we had better education. If only we, uh, had, had, if only we were better educated, some say, then human suffering would disappear. If only we made better laws and had better government, instituting the right kind of social order, then our problems would be solved. If only we elected better politicians. Yeah, right. All our problems would be solved, right? If only we would apply better technology, that would alleviate all human suffering once and for all. Well, you know what we've done with our technology, don't you? In some ways, it's been very helpful. It's added improvement to the human race, but it also created the nuclear bomb, right? If only we tried harder, lived by this philosophy or that. If only we followed Islam's five pillars or Buddha's eightfold path, then human misery would end. There are many proposed and promised salvations. The problem is none of this gets to the heart of our problem, the problem in human nature the problem with our heart. The fact is, we cannot save ourselves. Nothing we do can make things the way they're supposed to be. No human solution can solve the problem of human brokenness and the misery that goes with it. 
We cannot achieve shalom through our own efforts. Now, here is the incredible, the incredible good news. God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It is God who saves us. It's salvation that comes from the outside. It's God who saves us, and only God who saves us. As He Himself says it, I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. The story of the Bible is essentially a rescue story. It's a story of how God has rescued us from sin and death by sending us a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The Apostle Paul put it so succinctly, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Someone has said, if our greatest need were information, God would have sent an educator. If our greatest need were technology, God would have sent a scientist. If our greatest need were money, God would have sent an economist. If our greatest need were pleasure, God would have sent an entertainer. But since our greatest need is forgiveness of sin, God sent us a Savior, Christ the Lord, who died for our sins that we might live fully here and eternally hereafter. I'm not sure that you and I fully appreciate how great a salvation has been won for us through Jesus Christ. It has become a bit of a cliché But when you think about it, it's the best news ever. Jesus saves. That truth ought to just take our breath away. It ought to lead us immediately to praise and thanksgiving and a sense of awe. Because we have a Savior, there is hope for us and for this broken world of ours. The fix is in. Now, let's take just a few moments to get a feel for just how great a salvation this is. For one thing, the means by which Jesus has saved us is so surprising and so unexpected. Think about this. It is while we were yet sinners that Christ died for us. It is while we were estranged from God, His enemies by virtue of our sin and rebellion against Him, that He died for us. The Apostle Paul expressed surprise about this. Maybe maybe someone would think about laying down his life for a good person, but for one's enemy? Because of sin, humanity was estranged from God at odds with Him, separated from Him, divorced from Him. And that sin has incurred God's wrath. We don't like to think about God's wrath, but God's wrath is the other side of His love. It's because God loves us so that He hates sin with a passion. God hates what it does to people and to God's creation. Sin spoils shalom, the shalom He intended. God is holy and cannot abide sin. The wages of sin is death, says Scripture. And by God's account, we all deserve to be punished. We're all deserving of God's condemnation. Guilty, pronounces the divine judge. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Heidelberg Catechism puts it this way. Question. 
You know, remember that it's a statement of faith that's in question and answer form. According, question, according to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment both now and in eternity. How then can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? Answer, God requires that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, the claims of this justice must be paid in full, either by ourselves or by another. Now listen to this. This is the most amazing thing. It's something you would never expect in a million years. And the catechism points this out. God took our punishment that we deserved upon Himself. God Himself paid the penalty for our sins. The New Testament says it over and over again. He was crucified for us in our stead on our behalf. Peter states it plainly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree. He died for us. He died for you and me. As Isaiah puts it, He was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the punishment that made us whole, and by His bruises we are healed. We're, this is a bit of a, all this is a bit of a mystery to us, how this all can happen. Perhaps just a very short little parable can help us understand what God did for us. Suppose a farmhand set fire to his master's barn. The man is liable for the damages with all that he has. The master could take everything the servant has. But the master does nothing of the kind, takes nothing away. He rather says to the faithless servant, I will take everything upon myself. I will pay everything. And then the servant opens his eyes in amazement, for he sees what a good master he has. God has dealt with us this way through Jesus Christ. He has taken everything upon Himself. God has forgiven our debts. All our IOUs have been canceled, nailed to the cross. He paid the debt, and we stand amazed and in awe that we should have a God so full of grace. Bishop Stephen Neal, who uh, served as a missionary in India, was speaking of the difference between Hinduism and Christianity. And he explained the Hindu principle of karma. Do well, and your next life will be on a higher level, and vice versa. Karma says, you sin, you pay. Christ says, you sin, I pay. Utterly amazing. It's no wonder that the cross has been defined, actually by Ken Bailey, as a costly demonstration of unexpected love. How wonderful is that? And that payment, you know, was really high. It was costly. We should never minimize it or take it for granted. It cost God the death of His own beloved Son. His body was broken. His blood shed for us. 
Jesus suffered and died and went to hell and back for our sakes, for our salvation, to pull us up out of the mire of sin, to raise us up with Him. In the words of the catechism, that He might completely deliver us and make us right with God. The salvation we have in Jesus is so surprising and so unexpected and so costly. But it is also so comprehensive in its scope. God's salvation is extended to everybody. It's a universal invitation. God so loved the world. God so loved the cosmos that He gave His only Son. And when I look up at the cross and I imagine Christ crucified there with His arms outstretched along the horizontal beams, I can, I can just imagine Him saying, Come to Me. Come to Me, all you who are weary and are heavy laden, who are broken by sin and by sin's misery and its consequences. consequences. Come. Come to Me. I would embrace you. Come. Our salvation in Christ is radically inclusive. Inclusive. Come to me. I don't care who you are, where you come from. Come to me. Know my salvation. And yet at the same time, the offer of salvation is exclusive in that it is only through Jesus that we may be saved. As the Scripture puts it, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by, given by which we must be saved. Think again of the cross. There is a horizontal beam. It's for everybody. Radically inclusive. It goes out to everybody. But then there's a vertical beam. You know, and Jesus is in the middle of it, right? The vertical beam between us and God. The only way to get right with God is through Jesus, who is our mediator, our bridge. He is the open door by which we may enter and experience God's incredible salvation. Radically inclusive and yet exclusive. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. The Heidelberg Catechism puts it this way. Are all people then saved through Christ just as they were lost in Adam? And the answer, no. Only those are saved who through true faith are grafted into Christ and accept all His benefits. Question, what is true faith? Answer, true faith is not only a sure knowledge by which I hold as true all that God has revealed to us in Scripture, it is also a wholehearted trust which the Holy Spirit creates in me by the gospel that God has freely granted not only to others but to me also forgiveness of sins, eternal righteousness, and salvation. These are gifts of sheer grace granted solely by Christ's merit. When you and I put our wholehearted trust in Christ and His salvation, 
We are granted not only forgiveness of sins and the promise of life in heaven, but we are given a new power to live a new kind of life, life as it was supposed to be, life in all its fullness, life lived once again in harmony with God's design, broken relationships healed, paradise restored, shalom, eternal life. Not just life beyond the grave, but new life, eternal life now. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him, trusts in Him, wholeheartedly trusts in Him, stakes one's life upon Him, shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Salvation is a gift. It's a gift of God's sheer grace. It's a gift. We receive it by true faith, wholehearted trusting in Christ, who is now, even now, reaching out from the cross, saying, come to me. Come. I would be your Savior and Lord. Come. And so we are to come, sinners one and all, if we are to experience the wonders of new life in Him. Jesus saves. Man, incredible. Think about that. Ponder it as you leave this place. And live in thanksgiving for all that God has done. Lord, uh, I am overwhelmed by Your love for me. You died for me and for my sins on the cross. You gave Your all to me sinner that I am, now I give my all to you. In the words of that hymn, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Lord, come into my sin-sick heart and fill it with your healing love and grace. I am yours. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.